This is the Nona.fm Meet the Candidates podcast, an unbiased conversation with a candidate for a local political office. This is a free public service of Nona.fm. So our Meet the Candidates uh, segments continue, uh, both podcast and we're airing these, of course, on Nona.fm. And joining us this morning is Maria Salamanca, who is running for Orange County Public Schools, uh, the uh, to sell on the school board, District 2. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here today. Appreciate you coming in. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure thing. So I am the product of OCPS as a district. I went to school here first grade all the way to 12th grade when I headed off to college in California. Um, so I, you know, I was born in Columbia. Uh, my family came here when I was seven years old. We moved to Orlando, Florida, and that's kind of where I, I really grew up. Um, I went to six, seven different schools here in the district. So started at McCoy Elementary, like George, uh, went to Conway Middle, and eventually my family moved out east uh, to where I went to Discovery Middle, then Avalon Middle, and eventually Timber Creek High School. So, so you know your way around a right. lot of school buildings. <laughs> I really do. You can, you can, and, and a lot of administrators and a lot of the district. Good deal. Good deal. So, what inspired you to run for school board? What what said, Maria? We've got to run. Yeah, I mean, it was it was several things that kind of happened at the same time. So I moved back um, in 2020. Uh, I was in California, and my, I got really grateful that I was able to go remote and have a job that goes remote. So I moved back as soon as I could. My whole family's still here. I always come back at least two or three times a year, even when I was away for college or for work. And, you know, there was a, a couple things. I think as I moved back, I have always stayed in touch with a lot of my teachers, and spent time catching up with them and hearing just how tough the COVID times have been for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're they're expected to do a little bit of everything: uh, health counseling, health safety, teaching, tutoring. I mean, a lot of the kids fell behind during COVID times. So oh yeah, they're catching up. And then on top of that, obviously, you have a lot of of uh, restrictions coming down on them from Tallahassee on what they can teach, on things they're supposed to be telling the parents about, on books that are supposed to be read or banned or not and so it's just like additional more work on top of what they have and so what you're starting to see is teachers are leaving and some of the best teachers have made a massive difference in my life so you know I eventually got into gifted because the teacher advocated for me I eventually um, got into AP classes because teachers advocated for me I went to a really good college I went to UC Berkeley because teachers kind of guided me and 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 kind of college prep me per se and seeing that some of the the most effective teachers in my own journey were leaving the classroom and that generations after we're not going to have this and that's a big loss you have at the florida level nine thousand teachers that will not be returning to the classrooms in august and that means our kids are going to be coming in and not having teachers in the classroom maybe many of them will have substitutes and we know how much that impacts learning so we kind of seen this pressure coming down on making the job harder, seeing many of the best teachers leaving. Um, Joanna Lopez uh, came to me. She was the current uh, school board representative for District 2. She is running for House District 43, um, and she you know, asked me and encouraged me to, to consider it. She said, you're, you're a student of the district. You know your way around it. You can speak to the student voice. You, you care deeply about teachers. Um, and so there, there was that. And I think the, the second component uh, is what I do in my day to day. So I'm an investor. 
Um, when I moved to California after I graduated, I work in venture capital. So if anyone's watched Shark Tank, mm-hmm. it's kind of yep. like that. Gotcha. <laughs> Except I invest in tech companies. And so for the past seven years, I've been investing in tech companies that are building kind of the world of the future five to 10 years from now. And I'm very much aware what's coming down the pipeline in terms of our economy and how much it's going to shift, how much automation is going to impact the future oh, of jobs. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just how we have to have our schools and education system match up to our rapidly changing economy. And even more so right now that the economy is going to, you know, with high recession, potentially um, high inflation, potentially a recession coming our way. So, There was a lot of things that I felt I could bring to the table that I see from my own experience and have learned of where we're heading, that that I have that voice that can help our districts look around the corner 10, 15 years on what really matters. When you mentioned teacher retention, what what are some ideas that that you bring to to improve teacher retention? Because you mentioned a lot of state edicts that are coming down. There's things obviously that are beyond control. Yep. Everything from the price of housing to inflation. How, how, what, what are your ideas on that front? Yeah, well, the you're right. There's a lot that we can do at the school board, especially when it comes to curriculum, right? If, if we're being told we can't teach certain things, that's not – some of it is in our control, but a lot of it is not. Right. Um, there have been other models in other school districts across the country that have worked really well for some of the teacher shortage. And, and, and the idea is that even if our teachers are leaving the classroom, and I think 55% of teachers in this world, in, in the current times, are accelerating their leave the classroom plan. So that's a big number. Oh, yeah. We have 9,000 know, folks that are not going to be showing up to, to class because they're uh, leaving the profession. And then on the students who want to become teachers, so training programs in education, we've seen a one-third reduction in enrollment. So nobody wants to be a teacher as well. So it's a, it's a very long-term problem. What I've, I've been kind of looking into is what, what are other districts around the country who have, you know, not solved for, but done a better job at decreasing that massive gap. And there's some good models around what it looks like to reach students even when they're in high school and start kind of training programs on education, creating that pipeline from the same district into potentially teaching positions in the district. There is obviously other programs. Teach for America is kind of like the most best known one where you have students who after they graduate college go and do two to three years as you know, residences. They're, they're fully certified. They have to go through a certification process, but they get placed around the country. And as a district, you can open X amount of spots for Teach for America. Many of these come from really great uh, schools and colleges around. And, and the idea is hopefully they really enjoy their time and can stick around. Um, and then there is a lot of programs on the substitute level and the paraeducator level where folks enter the classroom have a teacher kind of mentor them, teach them the ropes of being a teacher, managing a classroom, and getting them to stay afterwards. So there's there's different ways to approach the problem to have more teachers developed as well as retained. Um, I don't think there's one easy solution, but I think there is other districts that have done a really good job, and, and we could do better. To shift gears a little bit, a lot of parents worry about safety in school. What, what are your thoughts on that, your ideas, and, and just your overall feeling about safety in school. Yeah, so there, there's kind of a couple of, of ways as well. Um, obviously, our district is cared deeply about this, so I, I do think our school board has done a, a really good job on this. 
the state mandated amount of uh, officers that should be at schools, our district has more than that. So right. we overall as a district and all the schools uh, have overcapacity of officers there. And so that's that's good, right? Obviously, there's amount of training that comes. The long-term perception of what we've learned from everything that's going on nationally on school shootings and just uh, violence in schools is it, it is a mental health problem as well. It is right. students yes. who are feeling left out. It's students who feel isolated. Maybe stuff is going on at home. Um, you start seeing a lot of violent behavior or early signs of something could be wrong in the classroom or in other situations. So we need to support that as well. So that means creating and finding the funding for health counselors school psychologists, mental health services for teachers and for students, and kind of having the capacity or systems for folks to feel safe reporting any weird behavior and having a system that doesn't overreact either, right? Like you don't want your kid also getting in trouble for, you know, anything they're, they're doing as well. So, right. but there needs to be that because that's kind of the long-term idea. I mean, a lot of, of the folks that we've seen around the country that have turned violent Many of them came from those schools and they had one or two or three people yep. that they had exactly in mind because they had built this resentment and anger and all this stuff that could have potentially been prevented. Um, and so I think there, it's a combination of making sure our schools are safe with officers when the case is that, mm -hmm. um, which I think our district has done well. And then the second one is, is on mental health and making sure that we address both of those. I think the easy solution of we need more cops or more guns in our schools is that I haven't seen research that shows that that's the solution. Um, because, you know, as you increase the amount of guns accessible in schools, you also see an increase of potential accidental violence. Um, and the other kind of issue with having too many cops in, in campuses can also be that once they are involved in disciplinary action, right, a kid gets out of control and you start bringing cops, you start to see a lot of issues escalate much faster because at that point, the kid is no longer being disciplined just by school, but is being disciplined by a criminal justice system, in which right. case you start building the record really early. And so as a parent, right, they're, they're teenagers, not saying like there's some behavior that is totally unacceptable and, and shouldn't be escalated. But as a parent, you don't ever want to get that call that, oh, your kid got in trouble. And instead of our administrators dealing with it, he actually ended up in, in jail for the day. Yeah, you got to go pick him up in the juvenile. Correct. Yeah, and so yep. you, you want the system to also be able to de-escalate um, student behavior. And unfortunately, what you start to see is students with special needs education, students with um, English as their second language, many times have trouble communicating and de-escalating situations. And those students tend to be overly um, disciplined in many cases. You're listening to the Nona.fm Meet the Candidates podcast. If you're a registered candidate in a local political race, we invite you to join the conversation. Please reach out to Gabby at Nona.fm at 407-553-NONA, extension 402. Now back to our interview. And in some ways, that goes back to your first point, and that losing teachers and staff is stretching teachers thinner so they're not able to catch these things before it ramps up into a big problem. I mean, these kids all started small at some point with issues. They did just didn't walk out and acquire a gun and walk into a school and start shooting it one day and sh shooting their classmates. They This was a, a stepped escalation. As you said, they, they, they had an issue with a couple of kids and, and, you know, uh, fellow classmates and, and they just got completely out of control. So, and 
teachers, I think they're spread thin. And you're right, Orange County does a great job. I've been involved for years. I was uh, involved on the athletic side to a certain extent, eight, nine, well, ten years ago. I hate to say how many years. And then, uh, uh, and then in some other ways as well over the years. And, and I always felt that they did a great job in vetting who I was, why I was on campus, and my, my access was very controlled. So I, I got to say, I, I, I agree with you there. I think they've done a good job. Yeah. Is, there, is there, are there other areas beyond teacher retention, safety that, that come to your mind when it comes to the schools that where you can see areas where you can Im- make improvements or hopefully bring fresh ideas? Yeah, well, I mean, so I was at Timber Creek um, at the peak of Timber Creek overpopulation. So it was right before East River was built. Um, I think Timber Creek was at 4,200 students at the time, uh, which was, I think, more than double probably its capacity. And it was on to East River. I was like, the relief school was built that that went down. So by my senior year, it was it was much better. But I was there for two years where it was, I mean, kids were sitting on desks on top of each other, basically, because there was just wow. no space. and. Um, I think Lake Nona High School is going through this right now as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because they're well over 4,000. Well over, over that. And so I'm very familiar with the impact that that has on both teachers and students. Um, obviously, there is a relief school that's coming up um, in the innovation area. Yep. And so that's good, but it also means that we as a district need to be prepared, one, to make sure we have teachers for that new school because what often happens when you have a relief school like this, and this happened with East River, is there is a massive great difference in gap. There is a massive gap in between the kinds of teachers that are there ready to stay at the school and, and the administration being prepared. So that's something that's really important, right? Because if your kid gets uh, redistricted and, you know, this whole area has been together for a very long time, you don't want to feel like, oh, the school you're going to is just getting started, you know, getting a, yeah. getting their, their ducks in order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not where you want to send your kids. So there's right. that's something that is in control of, of the school board um, and the superintendent. And so that's an area that I, I, I care deeply about making sure that that transition goes smoothly and that our kids are taken care of and the parents feel heard. Um, and the teachers are being recruited and really good high quality teachers potentially hopefully can be there long term and so that's one um i think in general you know i'm on the younger side right i am actually not a parent i'm not a teacher i'm 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 really through and through a student of the district and from my career what i've learned is just how important it is to have teachers in the classroom that teach you how to learn instead of just like teaching you you know just math or just english Because the the love for learning is really what's going to help you professionally long term. Yep. And so that's really important in where we are today with our economy. I mean, you have in the last seven years, 95% of the new jobs added to the economy were gig workers, right? So Instacart, Uber, Lyft, you name it. Um, you have... For the first time in decades, college enrollment dropping, uh, dropping. So, like, mm-hmm. you have you have one or two million uh, students less enrolling in college, and it's not because folks don't value education, but because our economy is changing and there is ways to make money in other alternatives, right? Yep. And so, it is important for me long term to have a voice in the school district that understands how our economy is changing. And can support that the district is thinking ahead of that, right? How are we career 
ready, what's like a real readiness of our students? What's the college prep that they're receiving? Because that's really important for their success. Ultimately, in the classroom, teachers should teach, students should learn. And after the, when they graduate off the district, hopefully, I don't think we have really good data in the district of what happens to our students after they leave. Sure. How, how do we hold ourselves accountable as a district that we're doing our job if we don't know how our students are doing after the fact? I think we're just, we're happy that they finished. We celebrate <laughs> graduation rates. We'll move on to the next thing. But And I can tell you as an employer, it is frustrating. We, we've hired uh, college kids. We've hired kids that right out of high school. And and, and there are certain skills that we go, oh, man, we're going to have to teach that. Yeah. That, that, that we're, well, we are constantly surprised what's not taught in school, even on the college level, uh, you know, on the technology side. So, All you know. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and it's a big issue because in our economy, skill sets are valued even above, you know, college degrees. Right. Um, and just because things are changing so rapidly. And so that's an area that I think is really important. And, you know, the day to day of school boarding is kind of putting out fires, getting emails from parents and teachers and students on all kinds of concerns. And that's that's fair. That's a lot of very important stuff. But you can lose sight of the long-term game. And I think that's where, you know, something I care deeply about is I would love to have a student voice on the school board. Other districts have done it, which is find a student leader from each, like from the district-wide. Um, there could be different ways to select this individual, but have that voice of the student who's kind of reminding the adults at the table all the time, like what's going on, right? Like students are going on hashtag learn on TikTok. I mean, it has like 36 billion views and that's where they're learning things and how to be entrepreneurial, how to oh, yeah. marketing skills, how to use Canva. Yeah. Uh, and that's those skills are the ones that make them very employable. And it's crazy to think that our schools are, that's not where they are, right? And so we do have to find the budget in our school system to have extracurriculars, have career prep programs. That's really important. And that's where our, our students will continue to be engaged. Otherwise, we, we have the problem that we have post-COVID, right? They were home on their computer all the time. They, now they're being forced back into the classroom and they're like, well, this is, this is not fun. Any th- closing thoughts? What folks can do to, to get involved? How, you know, what, what's your message to the voters? Yeah, I mean, uh, votemariasalamanca.com is is where you can go. We are out there knocking on doors every single day, definitely on the weekends. We are happy to talk to any parent or student or teacher. Uh, like, I'm, I'm happy to give my phone number. Folks can text me. It's on my website. It's on my Facebook page. And, and I think, you know, our school board is historically has been moms and teachers and there is an incredible valuable input that that viewpoint has and that should always be on the school board we've never had a student uh we've never had someone who has been through the district like i have in in recent times at least sure and the second thing is this district is very unique right we have colonial high school and then we have like nona high school oh yeah it is very diverse different demographics and and approach right so the, the thing with this district is you should also, I would love to keep the Latino voice. So I'm, I'm Latino, Colombian, I speak Spanish. I understand that community. I came from that community as well. But I also understand the, the needs of, of the Lake Nona community and kind of that forward, innovative vision that this community has and it's excited about because, you, you know, it looks like we're building forward and like, no, not right. But I don't want to leave folks behind. And I also want to make sure that there is a candidate and I wouldn't be running if I felt like there was a candidate that could represent those both sides. Uh, and I hope to be that. So I hope that voters give me a chance. And, and August 23rd is the primary. And then hopefully we make it to the general. Uh, and then that will be in November.
You're well-spoken. I appreciate you coming in and spending time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nona.fm Meet the Candidates podcast. This is a free service of Nona.fm. If you are a registered candidate in a local political race, we invite you to join the conversation. Please reach out to Gabby at Nona.fm at 407-553-NONA, extension 402. This podcast has been produced by Gabriela Perez-Ortiz.